weeks, heard of our Lord's gifts to His church, which He leaves after His resurrection, which He provides for us after His ascension. Two weeks ago, the Lord spoke of the joy of the resurrection that He leaves for us. Last week, Jesus left for us His Holy Spirit and the comfort that comes from Him forgiving our sins. Today, we hear the third and final thing that the Lord Jesus promises to leave us after His ascension, and that is the Father and His love for us. And perhaps we'll say even a bit more about the love of the Father, because it's not just the Father's love that Jesus leaves for us, but also His open ear. We mentioned before that today is called Rogate, that is, Prayer Sunday. So we want to consider this as well, that the teaching of Jesus on prayer and how it's connected to the Father's love and how all of this is connected to the cross. First, then, the the Father's love. Jesus says, In that day, that is the day of his ascension into heaven, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say you that I, to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus states emphatically, the Father loves you. Now we are tempted, I'm afraid, to take this for granted. We hear it so often that we have almost become immune to the wonder and to the surprise that is the Father's love for us. Oh, another sermon on God's love. We've heard it all before. And this thought is a problem. So let's consider, for just a moment, what we should get from the Father. What we deserve from Him. For here we stand as the enemies of God, sinners who are unholy and unclean, with hearts and minds and hands and feet, constantly busy breaking God's commandments, despising His gifts, being indifferent to His love, and using and abusing our neighbors for ourselves instead of caring for them and praying for them. And yet, says Jesus, the Father loves us. Imagine for a moment that you own a small business. Let's just say, for the sake of illustration, that your business is baking cupcakes. And there's a man that you hired to bake the cupcakes. You've told him all of the things that he's supposed to do and not to do. He's to be on time. He's to wash his hands. He's to, to keep the workstation clean. He's to mix this and that all up together to make the best cupcakes. He's to greet the customers when they come into the store and be kind to them. Really, you've told him ten things that he's supposed to do and not do. And now, on his first day of work, this fellow shows up two hours late. He's covered in filth. He wrecks the cupcakes with the wrong ingredients and bakes them for so long that they're like little rocks. And when anyone comes into the door, he starts yelling and screaming at them and throwing his little cupcake rocks at them to drive them away. Now, what would you do to such a man? I suspect that you would, be, that you would not be happy with this, but things with a cupcake man get worse. You call him into your office for a talk, and you're going to tell him that he can't go on like this, and that this is just an utter disaster. 
And not only does he deny that he's done anything wrong, but he tells you that you shouldn't be so controlling. And he starts giving you some sort of song and dance about how he's a really good person or he's a really good cupcake maker. In fact, he's probably the best cupcake maker in town. He does good works. And to prove it to you, he offers you one of the cupcakes. And as he gives, gives it to you, he wants to give it a little something special, so he spits on it before he crams it into your mouth. Now, how about this for a cupcake man? What do you think of this guy? I don't even think this little story can begin to capture how offensive our sin and our unholiness is to God. Perhaps this cupcake man should also go to your house and beat up your children and and burn it to the ground and set it on fire and then go around kicking dogs or something like that. We have enough, though, with this story to ask the question, do you, as the owner of the cupcake store, do you love this cupcake man? Everything he's done, either out of ignorance or out of malice for you, was against you. It was to destroy everything good that you had done. Everything that he does, every single thing, invites your anger, your frustration, your wrath. You would be right, just, justified, to send this guy packing to show him the door, to say, I never want to see your face again. And this, dear saints, is what we should get from the Father. Not love, not compassion, not acceptance and mercy. Wrath, rejection, death, hell. These are the things that we've deserved. And yet Jesus comes along in the text and he says this, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. Now this is simply impossible. Everything that we do, our sin, even our good works could never ever earn or deserve the Father's love. In fact, our sin and even our good works do the very opposite. Everything that we do deserves God's anger. But this, dear saints, is why the gospel is so lovely. Jesus takes all of your sins, all of the things that you've done wrong, all of the things all of the things that you've done that have made God angry, He carries them along and He suffers in your place. Out of some great and unfathomable love that we can never understand, the Son takes upon Himself the punishment for your sin. He takes your death and He gives you life. He takes your sin and He gives you righteousness the forgiveness of the sins, of all of your sins. He, dear saints, He, Jesus, makes you lovely to God the Father. Jesus grabs a hold of you. He makes you His own. He calls you His friend. And He unites Himself with you so that the love that the Father has for the Son is given to you. 
So we see that the love of God that Jesus speaks about, the love of the Father, is not the love that we expect. It's certainly not the love that we deserve, but it is directly the result of Jesus dying on the cross. Apart from his sacrifice, all we have from the Father is anger and wrath. But when Jesus comes and is crucified, dead, buried, and raised on the third day, then, and only then, can we hear things like this out of the mouth of Jesus, the Father himself loves you. In fact, the full phrase from the Gospel is like this. The Father himself loves you, Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And now we can see what that means. When we know that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came down from heaven and took on our flesh and blood to die for our sins, this faith, this belief is reckoned to us as righteousness, holiness, perfection, loveliness in the eyes of the Father. When Jesus forgives our sins, he makes us lovely to God. And this is a stunning and wonderful thing. Among other things, what this means is that when we close our eyes in death, which if the Lord tarries, all of us will breathe our last breath and die, when we close our eyes in death, we awaken them not to the anger of the Father, but to His love, to His smile, to His welcome, to His to His holiness given to us by Jesus. We have this comfort in life and in death from Jesus. And more than this, and this is what Jesus is teaching in the text, the fact that He, by His death on the cross, made us holy and lovely to the Father means that we can talk to the Father, that we can pray. Again, just like the love of God is so normal, we forget what a stunning and marvelous word it is, so it is with prayer. We're so used to talking about prayer and hearing the command to pray and and prayer being a part of our life that we are in danger of missing the fact that, that prayer and the invitation to pray to the Father is a marvelous privilege. Go back to your cupcake store. Remember this miserable guy? Imagine that one day you're sitting there and he barges into your office without even knocking to ask for a week off (laughs) or to ask for a raise or to ask to marry your daughter. (laughs) What presumption. In fact, this presumption for him is dangerous. We see this in history. We studied a few months ago the, the book of the Old Testament, Esther, and you remember the story. Here's Esther who's, who's married to, uh, to the king. And this king has a plot to kill all of the Jews in, in everywhere, Persia and spread throughout all the world. On one day, they're all going to be slaughtered. And Mordecai, Esther's uh, uncle, is, uh, is, is said that she should go and petition the king, Ahasuerus, to not murder all of the Jews. But she knows that there's danger there. The king hasn't called her. The king hasn't invited her. The king hasn't told her to come. And there's a danger in simply walking up to the king and asking for something. You could be thrown in jail for that. You could be, uh, you could be killed for that. 
There is a dangerous presumption in thinking that, that, we, that we would have access to the king to ask for anything that we want. But when Jesus tells us that he died for our sins, that he forgave us, that he calls us to be righteous and holy, and even makes us into the sons and daughters of God the Father, then he is granting us this privilege. He is granting us this access. Prayer is not a right that we have just because we breathe. It is a, it is a marvelous gift and privilege granted to us by Jesus' death in the cross. That's why these words are so wonderful in the text. Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. You speak straight to him, and he hears you, and he answers your prayer. Because of the cross, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of his righteousness given to us and us being part of the family, because of all of the, the, the things that Jesus has done, he has now promised us that the Heavenly Father will hear our prayers. He will hear them, and he will answer them. You see that Jesus not only leaves us with the love of the Father, he also gives to us the marvelous gift of the Heavenly Father's open ears. His love and His concern and His compassion for you, that He hears your prayers and He answers them. For He loves you and cares for you more than we can ever know. And all of it is undeserved. All of it is a marvelous surprise. All of it is wonderful. These, dear saints, are the gifts that Jesus leaves behind for you. The joy of his resurrection. The comfort of the Holy Spirit forgiving all your sins. And the love of your heavenly Father, which knows no limit. By these gifts we believe, we pray, we rejoice, we are comforted. And we bask in the love of our Heavenly Father, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ for treating us with these marvelous gifts. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.